Listener Production. Hello, hello, it's Antoinette Latouf here. And today we're going to talk about porn and porn addiction more specifically. So it isn't a clinical diagnosis, but psychologists are seeing more and more people whose lives are dictated by when they can get their next dopamine hit from porn. Like a man, we're going to call Julian. I think I had some not very good attitudes about it sort of being me time or something, which I suppose it is, but there are healthier outlets, let's just say. In this episode, you'll hear how porn addiction took over Julian's life and he was so desperate to get help that he rocked up to an alcoholic anonymous meeting for support. There are now 12-step programs to help people like Julian, so we'll take a close look at what recovery and abstinence looks like when you have access to the internet with just one swipe. But first, here are today's headlines with Tom Tilly. It's Wednesday the 7th of June. Hello. Well, Prince Harry has been cross-examined in court, uh, launching a fierce attack on the tabloid newspapers, labelling their actions as vile. So he's accusing the publisher of The Mirror of using unlawful techniques on an industrial scale to get stories, um, including exploiting his voicemails to listen to the messages left by friends and family. He's blamed the media for destroying his adolescence and later his relationships. So this follows very closely along the lines of his memoir, Spare. So he gave a 55-page witness statement before he was cross-examined. He said that as a teenager and in my 20s, I ended up feeling as though I was playing up to a lot of the headlines and stereotypes, mainly because I thought, well, if they're printing this rubbish about me and people are believing it, I may as well do the crime. He, um, Antoinette, is the first senior royal to appear in the witness box since 1891, so more than a century. Yeah, this is really significant. And as we know, Prince Harry has declared changing the tabloid media landscape his life's work. And look, I don't know how many people, Tom, are going to disagree with his summation that some of their behaviour is utterly vile. Um, And this, of course, is all part of a case against the publisher of the Daily Mail, Sunday Mirror and Sunday People. It's got to do with the widespread phone hacking and all the kind of dodgy info gathering that happened between 91 and 2011. Um, He also said that the tabloid editors have blood on their hands. He Mm. talked about the impact the newspaper had on his life and also his late mother, Diana. Mm. But interestingly, I mean, he has been criticised for not being there on the first day of the hearing, um, but his representatives say that he was in LA to celebrate Princess Lilibeth's, um, that's his daughter's, second birthday. Yeah, it's a difficult um, fight to make your life's work. I just think he's going to be banging his head up against a wall, but good on him for having a crack. Oh, I hate bringing you this sort of news, but there has been another painful interest rate rise, bringing the cash rate to 4.1%. That's the highest level in 11 years, and it is the 12th increase in 13 months. In their statement justifying the increase, the RBA singled out the increasing costs of services, increasing wages, and that house prices were rising again. Yeah, so the fear with house prices rising is that it creates a wealth effect where people feel like they have more money and then can spend more money. So consumer spending has been going down. But as you mentioned, one of the alarming things is the increasing costs of services. So this whole inflation problem started with the supply bottlenecks from COVID. So that was the cost of goods going up. Now the cost of goods has been coming down. 
but price expectations of services, which you know uh, are choices that we make about how much we charge for services based on the demand for them, have been very stubbornly high. So that is a big concern for the RBA. Most economists for the major banks are expecting at least one more rate rise, so still more pain to come. Yeah, and interestingly, Tom, last week uh, the inequality index was released and what it's showing that while wage inequality is kind of staying the same, what's shifting is wealth inequality. And that's largely due to people who have more money who are still buying homes. And so when we come out of this, that divide is going to be even larger because people who aren't suffering too much are going to have bought a whole bunch of land and then the vast majority of people are still struggling. And an Australian man who went on a drunken, naked rampage in Indonesia has been freed from prison. I am very, very relieved and happy and I'm very grateful too that I can go home. So that's the 23-year-old Bodhi Manny Risby Jones. He was detained in late April after police accused him of attacking multiple people, including a fisherman who suffered serious injuries. Um, he said at the time that the rampage happened after he bought a small shot of vodka He'd also been suffering sunstroke from surfing. So he's managed to get himself out of trouble, but it, it hasn't been easy. This all happened in Aceh, which is, you know, the most conservative province where drinking alcohol is illegal. Yeah, look, some pretty pretty potent vodka there, I would say, Tom. But as, as you mentioned, um, it did happen in Aceh, and that's still governed by Sharia law, prohibits um, the drinking of alcohol. And the truth is, if he had been charged with assault and found guilty, he probably would have um, faced a prison sentence of up to five years in Arche. And the other important detail to mention here is that Risby Jones had to pay compensation to the fisherman's family. So they're saying it was $25,000. So he didn't get out of this cheaply. The Commonwealth Bank has paid a $3.55 million fine for breaching spam laws. And it's the largest penalty of its kind in Australia's history. So this comes after the bank sent 65 million emails to customers which breached the Spam Act. And more than 61 million of the marketing emails unlawfully required customers to log in to unsubscribe. So marketers have to make it easy um, for people to unsubscribe from emails without having to log in or jump through hoops. And that's because of new regulation that came into effect um, in April 2021. And if the Commonwealth Bank is found in breach again, it would face a higher fine. Well, that is good to know that they're sticking up for our rights not to be spammed. I mean, it's it's just a constant part of our, our lives these days. Um, just one last story that's um, been around in the last 24 hours, increasing chances of the El Nino. So we've been hearing more about this. The Bureau of Meteorology has upgraded the chance of uh, dry winter or spring to 70%. So most likely we won't be seeing the kind of rainfall or snowfall we've been seeing. If you're relatively new to the briefing, thanks so much for listening and we'd love to have you with us every day. So whether you're listening via Apple Podcasts or Spotify or any other podcast app, do hit subscribe and get the briefing in your feed each morning from 6am for the latest news and of course, a deep dive interview. Stick around because we're going to look at porn addiction and how exactly you deal with it when you've got access to it in your pocket round the clock.
So if you've ever wondered what gets Googled the most, I can tell you it's porn. And chances are you routinely watch or have watched porn because the majority of men and more than half of Aussie women say they regularly look at porn. So how do you know when it becomes a problem or worse still, an addiction? Well, it can be tricky given how easy porn is to access and how much time we spend online. For one man who we'll call Julian, porn addiction is an ongoing struggle. Julian, thanks for sharing your story with The Briefing. When did you first start watching porn and and what was your use like at the beginning? Yeah, well, I think over a decade or two, really, I think as time went on, it became something that I might do late in the evening. I was in a relationship by then. Eventually, there were kids in the picture and um, I became sort of quite time poor in my life, I guess. Sort of opportunities, I guess, for healthy sort of social recreation were just less and less. And um, I think I was using pornography as an escape, really. You know, kind of all of the stress and stuff of the day, you just sort of put it on hold and then, I don't know, let your hair down at the end of the day or something like that. I think I had some not very good attitudes about it sort of being me time or something, which I suppose it is, but there are healthier outlets, let's just say. And just to get to know a little bit more about you, would you say that broadly you have an addictive personality like you, that you dabble in gambling or have any other addictions with drugs or alcohol or addiction in your family? No, not much addiction in the family, like this, not that I'm aware of. I'm not a drug addict, an alcoholic or anything like that, which I think this is fairly unusual in that sense. But I think probably in my like early 20s, I avoided drugs and gambling and stuff. Not because I thought I wouldn't like it. I think I thought if I did like it, I might like it too much. So I think I knew instinctively mm. I had a tendency to sort of overdo something to the exclusion of all other things. So I'm a little bit annoyed with myself that I let pornography take over like this. So at um, what point did you realise, hey, there's something not right going on here? Well, I, I think for a long time, I mean, I was sort of having a lot of difficulty in my life, but I don't. I don't know that I'd attribute that to the pornography addiction alone. That was part of a bigger picture, really. I think I was kind of in over my head in my job and responsibilities and so on, I guess. Not really coping very well on most fronts, honestly. So I knew that that all wasn't adding up, but I didn't have a lot of answers. You know, sometimes when, when we treat one problem to the exclusion of all else, we define it as, you know, deal with the addiction and then everything else will fall into place. And that's just not my experience. I might have thought something was wrong, but, you know, when you feel wrong, that isn't necessarily something you can do anything about, if that makes any sense. I'm interested how your use of porn or your dependence on porn impacted your relationships, your sex life or your or your work life. For the most part, it didn't impact it in the sense that, you know, I could still perform, I was still interested it was, you know, something on the side, so to speak. It was really degenerative for me, like over, you know, a decade or something where I didn't want to stop because I didn't think I had to. But if I would have tried to, I think I would have found it hard, let me put it that way. And did that impact your ability to perform in sex or have intimacy with other people? I think in the end, yes. Um, but it's probably more that in the end it was interfering with my relationship. Like, I mean, when someone's an addict, really, in the house, it can be can affect all parts of your relating, really. So, yes. And when did you decide to reach out for help? 
I kind of had a rock bottom moment really where, you know, is this the hill I'm going to die on? Is this the hill I want to die on? <laughs> am, I, am I so wedded to this I'm prepared to lose everything else? Mm. So I kind of did a self-imposed digital detox where um, I went back to a dumb phone for a while, like the 3G phone that doesn't have internet. It was really hard actually. <laughs> but I kind of went through a, something resembling withdrawal at that time which was the first hint, first serious hint that, wait a minute, is this an addiction? By then I'd heard of these 12 steps groups, the S recovery groups like Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous. When I went along to the AA group after a few sessions, I had a talk with someone and they said, well, what, what kind of addict are you? And they said, well, they're slar. I said, well, in New York State, right? And they said, no, no, here in Australia. <laughs> yeah. So you go to an AA group and you find out that there are 12 step programs for porn and sex addiction. What was that yeah. like? Well, um, yeah, so I went along to, I started going, it's about three years ago now, to one of these 12 steps groups um, that specialised in sex addiction. The big difference with this was you're meeting with people face to face, or at least via Zoom. You're meeting with real people and having a conversation. Mm. Some of the older members are saying, this is the problem I had, and then I've done this program, and I'm on the wagon for this long, and, and here's how my life is improving. So... Just having a, a safe space to say, here are the things I've done. I'm not very proud of them. I'm not very proud of the outcomes. I'm pretty ashamed of them. And not be judged for it. It's really powerful. Well, that was a, a fascinating and very vulnerable insight into what porn addiction looks like. Not only is it a growing problem in Australia, addicts are getting younger and younger. Jane O'Keefe is a consulting psychologist who treats porn addiction, and she was actually part of the team to pioneer the treatment in Australia. Jane, thanks for your time. So how easy is it to identify just enjoying porn to it becoming problematic? Like other addictions, porn addiction can become progressive over time. So what we look for in people is that uh, the increase in amount of time they spend on the internet, um, either surfing for different porn sites or just, you know, viewing porn. There's a preoccupation and obsession that can go with that. So they might be, uh, you know, at work or at school and they're thinking about, gosh, when I get home, I'm going to get up back, back on, you know, the internet and get on with the porn. Um, what also goes with a, a porn addiction is, is an uncontrollable impulse uh, or, you know, the urge so they might be trying to abstain, recognise they might have a problem and try to abstain from acting out on that urge, but the obsession and compulsion is quite strong. So they just, you know, have to act on that obsession to relieve what we, you know, now know as symptoms of withdrawal. And like other addictions, tolerance increases. So people may need to search for more provocative or violent images to get the same level mm. of arousal uh, that then they had it, you know, when they first uh, found porn. I mean, the average age of people finding porn is, is actually 12 years of age and it can be kids as young as eight. And, of course, you know, our brain isn't fully developed until we're 25 years of age and, and that's a massive dopamine hit to a, a young, vulnerable person looking at porn for the first time. And so their system's completely flooded and uh, they, they become overwhelmed. And, and what is the profile of most of the addicts that you've treated? Is there a demographic trend? Well, one in three people with porn addiction are actually women, but two-thirds are men. Uh, we see uh, increasing amounts of, of, of young men uh, coming in. And what's also happening is there's an increase for young males between the ages of 18 to 25 with 
what's known as um, porn-induced erectile dysfunction because they're using increasing amounts of porn. It's like they become desensitised and they're unable to reach arousal, have orgasms, uh, similar for, for some women. But, of course, uh, sex addiction and porn addiction can go for any age. And I'm wondering how easy it is to relapse because I know of people who have alcohol addiction and they do certain things like, you know, they stay away from pubs or they leave early at parties. You know, they do certain things to remove themselves from tempting environments. When it comes to something like a porn addiction, everyone has a smartphone and access to the internet. Does it make it that much harder then to to curtail that compulsion? Absolutely. I mean, one of the things with the cyber sex revolution i mean it's it's so accessible and so people kind of have you know contact numbers to call people if they start to have the urge uh, they can do a process of we you know we teach emotional regulation skills so here's an urge here's the obsession um, you know blocking porn sites on their phone but reaching out picking up the phone um, learning other behaviors uh, you know breathing techniques relaxation techniques and knowing that the urge will pass not all people who use porn become addicted. And like, like in other families' uh, systems, if there's uh, alcohol addiction, it increases there's hereditary uh, issues, reasons rather, that um, it increases uh, people, people who grew up in family systems where there's addiction are four times more likely to have an addiction themselves. There's a little bit of research um, into the prevalence of porn addiction, not a huge amount, but one study suggests it impacts 4% of men and 1% of women. Do you yes. think this is you know, just the tip of the iceberg or that many people would be forthcoming with this sort of information? It's a good question. I, I think there's still a lot of shame around uh, the sex and porn addiction and I've read stats as high as 6%. And uh, so, so certainly, I mean, it, this is what people are disclosing. And I think there are many young people out there suffering uh, because of the shame factor. But we're here to kind of, you know, there's, there's no shame in getting addicted. It's, it's it once people understand, and that's part of what we do, psychoeducation, about the brain reward system and how it gets flooded. It's an easy addiction to get. I mean, it's this highly salient images coming at people. Mm. Uh, it's really hard to regulate that and... But once they, they, they've taught regulation skills, other behaviours, they can learn to break that cycle. And not, of course, all those people who are on the internet searching for porn are addicts, but a, a lot of people use porn, of course, and then the percentage of those who go on to develop an addiction can be between, I'd say, 4 and 6%. Jane O'Keefe, a consulting psychologist who works to treat sex and porn addiction, and it is important to remember that Many people watch porn and they won't ever get addicted. However, as its use becomes more widespread and as young kids watch it, as young as eight, it can have all sorts of dire impacts like normalising violence during sex, fueling body dysmorphia and even making people unable to get aroused when having sex. So if you're concerned or just curious about your porn use, you can head to Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous, their website, sl8.org.au. And South Pacific Private, which is where Jane O'Keefe does some work, they actually have an online self-assessment tool worth checking out. Listener.